Mike, do you like going to the beach and seeing the ocean? I do. I love being in the ocean when I'm at the beach, actually. I like the idea of the beach and ocean, but I'm good after like one sandcastle and 30 minutes in the water. So what are we doing? Are we, t- are we going on a vacation or something? What, what's happening <laughs> yes. right now? We're going on a beach vacation together. Oh, nice. No, we're oh. talking about two articles pertaining to things floating on the surface of the Pacific Ocean. Uh, okay, then. Well, let's start with the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, <laughs> which is, unsurprisingly, pretty much what it says on the tin, but in the water. T- tin floats? I don't know. Uh. This is a large area in the Pacific Ocean defined by exceptionally high relative concentrations of plastic, chemical sludge, and other debris. When I first read this, I pictured floating island garbage, but really the density of this debris is relatively low, making it hard to spot from satellites or even boats on the surface of the ocean. Most debris consists of small plastic particles suspended at or just below the surface. This is not a floating pile of trash, which is what I imagine. Like an almost Simpsons-like just trash pile that just floats around on the ocean. It's not It's not as wonderful to imagine as that, if you would consider that wonderful. Uh, estimates of size range from 270,000 square miles, which is about the size of Texas, all the way up to 5.8 million square miles, which would be 8% of the total Pacific Ocean. These estimates wow. vary wildly, uh, as you can see. It's basically yeah. the size of a pinhead or the size of the sun. <laughs> the Great Pacific Garbage Patch was described in a 1988 paper published by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, here in the U.S. The description was based on results obtained by several Alaska-based researchers uh, that year that measured plastic in the North Pacific Ocean. Researchers found relatively high concentrations of marine debris accumulating in regions governed by ocean currents. Researchers hypothesized that similar conditions would occur in other parts of the Pacific, where prevailing currents were favorable to the creation of relatively stable waters. And hey you, if you're feeling smug about the Atlantic Ocean, thinking you've got a super clean ocean... Don't. It has a pretty similar area. It's just not as big. <laughs> uh, do people feel smug about the Atlantic Ocean? I think they would right now, right? You know, they're over there in their Atlantic world and they're like, aha, there's no trash heap in our ocean. Well, it turns out that there is. It's hard to discern the origins of the plastics found in these areas. A study published just a couple of years ago in 2014 determined the discarded fishing gear like buoys and lines and nets accounted for more than 60% of the mass of plastic marine debris. A 2017 study conducted by scientists from the University of California, Santa Barbara, and Georgia concluded that of 9.1 billion tons of plastic produced since 1950, close to 7 billion of those tons are no longer in use. The authors estimate that only 9% of this got recycled over the years, with another 12% being incinerated. This leaves 5.5 billion tons of plastic that would be littered across oceans and lands across this planet. As you may imagine, this has a huge impact on wildlife. Some of these long-lasting plastics end up in the stomachs of marine animals and their young. For example, of the 1.5 million Lazen albatrosses that inhabit the Midway Islands near Hawaii, nearly all of them are likely to have some plastic in their digestive system. Approximately one-third of their chicks die, and many of those deaths are due to being fed plastic by their parents. The toxins in these areas are ingested by fish and in turn by humans. While we're talking about fish, let me 
blow your mind with this stat. I had to read this sentence multiple times when researching this. The United Nations Ocean Conference estimates that the oceans may contain more weight in plastics than in fish by the year 2050. You can take this as our tiny little segment in this episode to please ask you to recycle. Please recycle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this will get better if you recycle. Please recycle. Anywho, there is some controversy about the label garbage patch. Angelique White, associate professor at Oregon State University, who has studied the garbage patch in depth, warns that the use of the phrase garbage patch is misleading. As we mentioned earlier, it's not visible from space. There are no islands of trash. It is more akin to a diffused soup of plastic floating in the ocean. I think she's right. I think I think that the name is misleading. In 2008, the Environmental Cleanup Coalition was founded to address the issue of North Pacific pollution. Project KSI, which is a project to study and clean up the garbage patch, launched in March of 2009. Then, in August of that year, two project vessels, the New Horizon and the KSI, embarked on a voyage to research the patch and determine the feasibility of commercial-scale collection and recycling. The Seaplex Expedition, a group of researchers from the Scripps Institution of Oceanography, spent 19 days on the ocean in August 2009 researching the patch. Their primary goal was to describe the abundance and distribution of plastic in the area, and this forms the most rigorous study to date. I love the name Seaplex. It's really good. It's excellent. Um, in 2015, the Ocean Cleanup Project operated a fleet of 30 vessels that took part in a month-long voyage to determine how much plastic is present using trawls and aerial surveys. The truth is, there's no simple answer to this problem, and honestly, we're years away from any real solutions making it beyond the research phase. We're moving into sad territory again. We are. So we need to lift our spirits. We're going we're gonna to lift your spirits, everybody. But we, you know, we, we need to get real. Got to tell you to recycle, take care of the environment. Um, but I need to take a lie down before we, we, we continue so I can just kind of recalibrate. And what better than on a Casper mattress? Casper is sponsoring this episode, and they are the company focused on sleep. They are dedicated to making you exceptionally comfortable one night at a time. Casper mattresses are perfectly designed for humans with engineering to soothe and support your natural geometry. Hey, they got all the right support in all the right places. Casper combined multiple supportive memory foams for a quality mattress with just the right sink and bounce, whilst also helping you regulate your temperature throughout the night. All Casper mattresses are designed and developed in the United States. Casper mattresses have over 20,000 online reviews of an average rating of 4.8 stars. They are quickly becoming the internet's favorite mattress. And I'm sure this is in part because of their 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. Casper will deliver their mattresses directly to your door, and if for any reason you don't love it, they have a hassle-free return policy. You spend a third of your life sleeping. Make sure you do it in comfort. Start sleeping ahead of the curve with Casper. You can get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash ungeniused and using ungeniused at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Once again, that's casper.com slash ungeniused and the code ungeniused. We thank Casper for their support of this show. Okay, the first half of this episode was a bummer. Let's wrap up with something far more adorable. The Friendly Floaties are plastic bath toys that made history when 29,000 of them washed into the Pacific Ocean in 1992. The yellow ducks, red beavers, blue turtles, and green frogs have then washed up on shores around the world, giving oceanographers a new way to look into ocean currents. This is using trash in a great way. <laughs> it is. A shipment of friendly floaty toys manufactured in China were aboard a container ship named the Ever Laurel, 
bound for Tacoma, Washington in January 1992, when 12 40-foot shipping containers, you know, those Mm. massive shipping containers, were washed overboard in a storm. One container was ripped open in the accident, and the 29,000 bath toys were set free in the ocean. Let's just stop right there. You were right. This is kind of adorable. But that is an almost unimaginable amount of toys, right? <laughs> no. 29,000 bath toys? Yeah. We think how little they are and how many it would t- to take a, to fill a container. Math works out. It is sort of hilarious. Each toy was mounted in a plastic housing attached to a backing card, but subsequent tests showed that the cardboard quickly degraded in seawater, allowing the floaties to escape. Unlike many bath toys, friendly floaties have no holes in them, so they did not take on any water, allowing them to float literally around the world. (laughs) Seattle-based oceanographers Curtis Ebesmeyer and James Ingram, who were working on ocean surface current models, began to track the toy's progress. They saw an advantage to this accident, as only about 2% of tracking objects purposefully released in the Pacific Ocean. So if you want to track currents, you put things in the ocean on purpose. Only 2% of those are ever found again. But with 29,000 objects, they could expect to find between 550 and 600 of them over time. Ten months after the incident, the first floaties began to wash up along the Alaskan coast. The first discovery consisted of 10 but eventually 400 were washed up on the shores of Alaska. This ended up tapering off after August 1993. Using the models they developed, the oceanographers correctly predicted further landfalls of the toys in Washington State in 1996 and theorized that many of the remaining floaties would have traveled to Alaska, westward to Japan, back to Alaska, and then drift northwards through the Bering Strait and become trapped in Arctic pack ice. Moving slowly with the ice across the pole, they predicted it would take five or six years for the toys to reach the North Atlantic, where the ice would thaw and release them again. There's something wonderful to me about thinking of of maybe some of these things getting trapped in the ice for a longer period of time. And then like in the future, people are finding these things like in the North Pole or something. It'd be kind of kind of beautiful. Like, well, how do they get well, here? Well, they'll have they'll have this episode to explain it to them. Exactly. You know, it's not like a Captain America situation. There is there's some real <laughs> some real stuff going on here. Between July and December of two thousand and three, the toy company that made the floaties offered a one hundred dollar US savings bomb reward to anybody who recovered one in New England, Canada, or Iceland. So there's a bounty program to recover rubber duckies from the ocean. I think of it more of like panning for gold, you know? It's like really, really big like pans and they're trying to find the ducks. More of the toys are predicted to have headed eastward past Greenland and make landfall on the southwestern shores of the United Kingdom in 2007. In July of that year, a retired teacher found a plastic duck on the Devon coast and British newspapers mistakenly announced that the floaties had begun to arrive. It was later determined that that duck was an off-brand. It was not a floaty. I love the phrase, the floaties have begun to arrive, like as some sort of invasion from yeah, the watch ocean. Out. The floaties are here. The floaties are coming. Uh, that teacher could have been part of history. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a letdown for them. Well, she still is, but, you know, for having not found the right one. We owe a big thanks to Marcus for suggesting the floaty topic. I just, I read this and I could not stop laughing. An industrial accident that has happened to involve adorable rubber duckies being used for good by science. Just, it, it makes me happy. It really does. If you want to learn more about the Pacific Garbage Patch or the Friendly Floaties, there's some links in our show notes. You can find them this week at relay.fm slash ungenius slash 44. You get in touch with us there. You can send us an email 
All of our topics come from listeners, so uh, send us an email with your favorite weird Wikipedia article, or you can do so on Twitter. Uh, the show is at Ungeniust. You can find Mike there as I-M-Y-K-E, and you can find me as I-S-M-H. And until our next container is swept overboard, Mike, say goodbye. Goodbye. Adios. <laughs>